I'm really glad that the apostles are sent out uh, to preach repentance and, and not something like, like condemnation. Sometimes you hear preaching uh, along those lines, and sometimes you hear uh, the church speaking in, the, in, that, in that kind of uh, belligerent, we can say, attitude against, against the culture. And there is a recognition of, okay, difficulties and things along, along those lines with uh, the cultural reality that we live in. Uh, and yet, uh, our Lord still only sends the apostles out for the sake of preaching repentance to his, to his people. Uh, our Lord is inviting all of humanity into the loving and uh, glorious salvation of becoming sons and daughters of God Most High. And this being sent forth, uh, this, this, this apostolate, which our Lord invites uh, all of us really into, uh, is the manifestation of the vocation that, that, that each of us has. Uh, we consider vocation as certainly a call from God, what, it is, what the word means, it's a call. Um, but it's, it's not something that I sort of figure out by, by excessive thinking, I wonder, it's been my whole life, figuring out what my vocation is, uh, and uh, something that can fall into the trap of, of, of maybe uh, just discerning excessively long to the point where discernment becomes a vocation, the vocation itself, uh, which is what we're supposed to get to. Uh, the church talks about uh, different kinds of vocations, certainly the priesthood, married life, um, even consecrated single life, and also um, consecrated religious, uh, those who are, are, are religious non-sisters and, and, and brothers. Uh, but all of those vocations are just distinct manifestations of the one vocation to which we are all called, namely the universal call to holiness. It's a holiness uh, that is uh, attainable, as it were, in every moment of every day of our lives. I shouldn't say attainable, I should say livable. Uh, in every moment of every day of our lives. Because, let's be honest, anything that is not sinful can be a means to our holiness. It's the only thing uh, that, that, is, that is an obstacle, really, to our holiness, uh, is our is our sin. Is, is, is sin. Well, we also have to, have to ask a fun little question. <laughs> What's holiness? What does that mean? Uh, and if I were to walk up to uh, a lot of people and say, you want to be holy? I might stop and say, I don't know how to, how to define it, first of all, but also it might not sound uh, very attractive at the, at, the, at the beginning. And I want to be careful of offering a definition of, hol- of, of holiness, because I don't want to put a, a finite boundary on, on the infinite God. Again, it's not something to be just achieved or attained, as if at some point in my life I can say, hey, watch out, I'm holy. Because if I say that, you're going to run away screaming, and you should. And again, holiness, we shouldn't consider it uh, either as just a rejection of anything and everything that's not explicitly religious. Because if we look at the witness of Scripture and the goodness with which God has made creation, we see that God himself is imbued, has imbued himself and his own goodness in all of creation in a certain level. Not a kind of a pantheistic kind of way, we don't go down that path, uh, which is heresy and ridiculous. Um, but we do want to say that there is and was an original harmony in all of creation. And God looked at all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And the only moment when that harmony was broken is when mankind in his arrogance and his pride decided to disobey God because of sin. And through sin, evil and death entered the world. Trying, trying to replace God as the master and the king of all things. And we look at the world, we see the tentacles of evil and sin sort of trying to spread everywhere, even though it's already definitively conquered by the cross. We even see men and women giving themselves to it, 
trying to elevate the natural world and even themselves above God the Creator. What that means for us is that we experience the world and oftentimes as something that's not fully what it was meant to be. We see the material brokenness in the world. We see, we see disease and imperfections and all kinds of things along those lines. But then also morally we see weakness, try as we might. Uh, we find sin difficult to overcome. And then even worse is, is malice, right? Evil intent. When people decide to intentionally choose against God's goodness. So with that image and view of sin, we can consider holiness as something a little different. Perhaps it's more along the lines of a radical healing, a healing at the root of myself and of my life. We know that that's impossible without God. And that's what the Paschal Mystery is, in the end, all about. You see, we have received, all of us, the effects of the Paschal Mystery in the sacraments. The sacraments are, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the infallible conduits of the grace of the cross. Christ's victory is applied to us when we open ourselves, open our hearts to receive the sacraments. So by our baptism then, the root is itself healed. And it stays that way as long as I'm in the state of grace, meaning not in mortal sin. And so if that's the, the fundamental holiness that I've been given, I've been offered that by God, I've received that when I, when I openly receive the sacraments. Now I have a chance with the apostles, with the whole rest of the church to be sent out into the world because if it's just a root, it's got, it's got to sprout, right? It's got to grow, it's got to blossom, it's got to, it's got to propagate itself. And that's what God's goodness uh, wants to do. He's a, he's, a, he's a God who loves life and wants to spread that, not just physical life, but also eternal life. And he does that in us and also through us. So that's the reason for the particular vocation that God has given us. He calls us to this universe, this, again, all of us to holiness first, and then he sends us out, each of us, in a particular way. Whether it's, again, marriage, priesthood, some sort of lay single vocation, or the consecrated life. The vocation that he gives us is precisely about being sent out to preach the gospel and to perform the works of God. None of us decides ourselves to go and preach the gospel as if somehow I'm special and so I have something to offer. I only offer what Christ has given. Everything I've received is a gift. But all of us is called aside. Each of us is called aside. In the midst of all kinds of previous engagement, think of Amos in the first reading. He's a shepherd and a dresser of sycamore tree. He said, I didn't choose to be a prophet. It was God who, who appointed me to go and to preach to you. Certainly some of us are called to the holy priesthood. It's a vocation in which God in his mercy and his goodness invites men to love the church as a bridegroom loves his bride. Other, other, others are called to be brides of Christ as consecrated religious sisters or nuns. The vast majority are called to be bridegroom and bride to each other, instantiating a particular relation to the love that Christ has for his church, the love that the church has for Christ. And others live unmarried and unattached to one of these other vocations, in freedom and openness to the daily mission to which God calls them, but still as sons and daughters in the middle of the world. But regardless, each of us is sent out. We take nothing with us but a walking stick. What is that? It's an image of the cross, a piece of wood 
the cross of Christ, which is to be our crutch and support in all things, and the place that we go in every necessity. And certainly we're also reminded of the call of Christ, to take up our own cross daily and to follow Him. He asks us not to rely on ourselves to provide. Don't take any extra food, no extra bag with all those other things that you might need, no extra money, not even extra clothes. Through all of that, we're invited to discover God's providential care for us in the midst of our Christian life. He wants us to know His goodness. And if I'm in the business of providing for myself all the time, I blind myself to the goodness of God. It's easy to forget that God has providential care for His children. But let's be honest, that's not only for us. It's not only so that I can see His goodness, although that's a huge part of it. It's also because the world needs to know God's goodness. The world that puts its trust in material things, or in sin, or in their, their own abilities and desires, the world also needs to know that God Himself is a good, good Father and provides for His children. We need the world. The world needs to see our constant, our constant prayer and our trustful surrender to the providence of God, our simplicity, and even our peaceful joy in the midst of trials. That's the way in which our lives become a call to repentance for the world, that world that, that does not yet know the Lord. And so, when we do rely on our Lord, again, He gives us what is good, everything we need to survive, and also to have joy in our hearts. The Gospel says the Apostle is going to take sandals, to help him along the way, right? It's a little thing, the ways in which God provides for us. But he wants us to do that, he wants us to receive those gifts without becoming bloated with, with extras. The goal is that I don't add to the disharmony that sin introduced at the fall of Adam and Eve. And God knows when the world needs to see me fast a little bit more, so maybe he holds back from providing certain things that I wish I had. God knows when the world needs to see me trust rather than to be anxious, or maybe to do with a bit less, or maybe even a lot less. No, God tailors His care for us in order that we might know and the world might know, uh, again, God's authentic goodness, but also so that the world can see the virtues uh, that He wants us to show forth. So we as Christians then, we're still not into the world to be light where there is darkness, and to be harmony with God's goodness where there's discord, to be healing where there's sickness, and to be Christ, really and truly, where there is evil. He's given us that authority as His sons and daughters. Certainly the anointing with oil and the driving out demons, all that stuff is a, is a priestly uh, act in particular, an act of the church. But, let's be honest too, driving out demons doesn't always look like a formal exorcism. Christ is the one before whom all evil flees, and He makes Himself present through His people, through all of you and through me, first and foremost through our prayer, through our words, and through our actions, all of that together through our witness.